ko te ohonga ake o aku moemoea, ko te pua waitanga o ngā whakaro. The awakening of dreams and aspirations comes from the blossoming of ideas and thoughts. E ngā kārangaranga maha o te motu, tēnei te mihi atu kia koutou katoa. Ko te hōtaka tēnei a Tiahika, ko Justin Murray Aho. Welcome to Tiahika. And it's certainly been a busy week in the news. He spent 27 years in Parliament. Dr Michael Cullen, who worked alongside iwi in treaty claims, delivered his valedictorian speech earlier this week, which signalled the end of his long career in politics. Cullen brought us some key initiatives, including the KiwiSaver scheme, which sparked the need to save for many New Zealanders. And while it was the end of the parliamentarian career for Cullen, it was the start of a new journey for his former Labour Party colleague, as former Prime Minister Helen Clark was officially welcomed at a pōhiri at a new post in New York. Earlier this week, the launch of a booklet about food preparations at the marae was held at Tūranga Waiwai Marae in Ngarua Wahia. Te kai manawa ora looks at preparing, gathering and cooking kai, or food, produced by the New Zealand Food Safety Authority. The guide was a follow-on to a previous guide in cooking hangi, which was released at Orakei Marae in 2004. At the forefront of both booklets, with his keen passion for food safety, Raniera Bassett, nor Muri Fenua, says that it's not about going against what Ringawera are doing at their marae, it's more about changing attitudes in the as he has seen over the last 20 years. Our, our ringawera that are in the kitchen now, because they're a younger generation, they are very good. Yes. They are keen. A lot of the marais that I've been to, I have seen big changes. So over the last, shall we say, 20 years, there has been a big change mm-hmm. in attitude. Eh? When I first started out, when I first walked onto, uh, you know, summarize and you, know, you heard the corridor that you've already said to me, ah, what are you fellas talking about? We've been doing this my rano. <laughs> and I'm going, yes, okay, but Campylobacteriosis and Salmonella don't care what tribe you belong to. Māori and shearing sheds have become synonymous over the years, and although I haven't worked in the sheds, members of my whānau have, and I remember some of my uncles coming home about 10 kgs lighter. In our archival segment, Ngā Taonga Kōrero, Salwin Murupainga, who hosted the series Te Puna Wai Kōrero in 1971, talked to George Portai of Ngāti Parau. George came from a line of shearers. His father and his koro both worked in the shearing gangs. In 1969, George went on to win the Golden Shears Award, which in turn led to further business ventures in the shearing sheds. What avenues did that open up for you? At the time, I was already a shearing contractor in South Otago. But after the trip that went, that was part of the prize for winning... I come back from overseas with a lot of new ideas and uh, the trip sure built up my self-confidence and, and I was able to expand the business um, quite easily. Te Pairangi is the National Services Department at Te Papa Tongariwa. Their job is very community-orientated. Earlier this week in Wellsford, a hui was held that taught methods on how to digitalise or copy photos. It's all about safekeeping taonga. It could range from personal collections of photos in the home to those kept inside, say, a whareinui. Rhonda Paku's job as manager of iwi development involves getting out there, kānohiki te kānohi, or face-to-face, and as part of her role, there are quite a few surprises. And in one workshop that we had in Heretonga last year at the Tangatemu Festival, which was a resounding success. Mm. The, this particular workshop, a whānau turned up there with a kahu kiwi. It was no less than 150 years old, and our in-house conservator who was presenting that particular workshop, Rangi Takanoa, um, who specialises in um, Māori textiles, she was able to identify almost immediately that this kākahu was probably no less than 150 years old. Kuerangā kaupapa kai te heke mai. I'm Justine Murray. You're listening to Te Aika, Radio National. 
We've probably heard a good sheep joke in our lifetime, given that, yes, there are 60 million sheep to our 4 million population. But let's face it, sheep is obviously one of New Zealand's biggest exports. And the sheep industry is certainly one that Māori have been involved with for many years. Terms like general hands and fleeceos were spoken around the sheds, so much so that composer Tweni Ngāwai used some of those words, broken up with te reo Māori, in Waiata, she wrote, that spoke of that era in the shearing sheds. The Golden Shears is our national award in shearing and wool handling held in the Wairarapa. The event began in 1961. In 69, George Portai no Ngāti Pro won that award. And at the time, he was also a shearing contractor in Milton, the South Island. The shearing scene in New Zealand has been dominated by Māoris ever since the industry was introduced into, into this country. There are Māoris in most shearing gangs the length and breadth of New Zealand. If they're not actually involved in shearing, then they are the fleeceos, the cooks, or the general hands in the wool sheds. Many Māori women have also exiled themselves in this gruelling profession, which is usually the domain of black singleted males with strength and resilience of all black forwards. Perhaps one of the most interesting phenomena stemming from this occupation is the fact that most of the huge shearing contractors are Māoris. The income of one Māori contractor during the la- uh, last financial year came to over a million dollars. I was told that uh, there are even bigger ones around. I talked with Mr George Portai, a shearing contractor based in Milton, Southland. The name Portai is synonymous with shearing. His father and grandfather before him were both legends on the East Coast and in Kennedy's Bay on the Coromandel Peninsula, where Mr George Portai grew up. The genius of Māori song poems, the late Tweeni Ngāwai, who worked in the woolsheds, composed numerous songs with a mixture of both Māori and and Pākehā, bringing out the humour, the pathos, and a whole variety of human hopes and aspirations in her compositions. Let's open with one of these gems, shall we? contract shearing and other business enterprises. How did it all begin for you? It all began after um, I left St. Stephen's and uh, went away in a shearing gang down Hawke's Bay and learnt to shear, I guess. In 1969 you won the Golden Shears. What avenues did that open up for you? At the time I was already a shearing contractor in South Otago but after the trip that went that was part of the prize for winning I come back from overseas with a lot of new ideas and uh, the trip sure built up my self-confidence and and I was able to expand the business um, quite easily You do belong to a a shearing family tradition I believe Yes, my father and uncles all were all shearers, and brothers. 
George, could you describe an ordinary day um, in terms of, you know, shearing gang? Most of them get up about half past four, have a cup of tea and start shearing about five. And the gangs consist of uh, four, to, four to eight shearers, same number of shed hands and a cook, presses. And then they work about four two-hour runs and have meals in between that. A few refreshments after work, then tea, then bed. If they're working again next morning, they always go to bed early. And that's about it. What are the essential attributes to, to, to make a good shearer? Um, shearers, to me, come in all shapes and sizes, and I think it's just a matter of application. Um, some are big, some are small. I think a lot of it is to do with rhythm and uh, and eye and willingness. Can you single out any race that has a natural, ryth- a natural rhythm for it? Oh, yeah, our race are, are all, all natural shearers. Um, the main difference being in their, in their hand, the way they hold a handpiece seems to be so much softer and lighter. And this way they're able to shear a lot with their hand without using all their... Uh, they find it easier, I think Mary's find it easier to shear. Why are Māori succeeding so well in this type of business venture? I think there's been tradition with Maoris to to do shearing ever since it started. They've had a happy knack of being able to do it, and then they've been able to some of them been able to organise their people into a gang, and then then into several gangs, and it's gone on from there, from passed down from generation to generation. And um, could say too also that there's not much capital needed to start off contract shearing. I believe you have approximately 160 people shearing for you. What sort of rapport do you have with them? Oh, pretty good. This is this is why I've got so many, I suppose. Um, have to be able to talk to them all and be on the same wavelength, I suppose, although I have gangers in charge of each gang, and naturally I have more contact with them than, than uh, the rank and file. Although I can... A contractor has to be able to speak to every one of the staff and get their confidence and and be human as possible with everyone. What is there about a Māori businessman that uh, differentiates from Pākehwan in terms of your business, contracting? Um, Oh, well, it's hard to say. But in my own case, uh, I seem to be able to get to know the people better be able to get more out of them, I suppose. Well, they we they we seem to build up a good, happy gang. At most times, I sort of know what the any problems that might come up within a gang, sorted out before any problems do come up. There's always problems uh, of uh, compatibility within gangs, and you have to make sure that the people you have together are going to get on. Especially working under the. Uh, the real tensions from sometimes a lot of tensions builds up in shearing if they're working day after day in the heat. It's pretty hard on them. And I think if you know your people, you have to get to know your people and sort it out from there. George, you're based right down in Milton in the deep south. Are there many um, of your workers from the North Island? Yes, yeah, seasonally there's a lot. Um, our busy season down south coincides with the slack season in the north so consequently they just travel backwards and forwards when they run out of work here at Christmas that's when our main shearing starting down south Kia ora George Portai talking to Selwyn Murupainga about shearing I'm Justine Murray and of course you can download our Tiahika podcast every week by logging on to our page radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika Now let's talk about one of my favourite subjects kai or food, and in particular, food eaten at the marae. There is a saying that goes, katika amuri, katika kimua, which translates of everything goes well at the back, the back meaning the workers or the ringawera, then the front or the paipai tapu of the marae, that's where the komatsua sit at the front of the marae, will go well or flourish. And when it comes to food, the breaking of bread between the hosts and the visitors means those visitors who are really 
strangers to that particular marae become noa. Now that is when the tapu or the sacredness of the manuhiri is lifted and they became part of the hokainga, part of that marae. Food is about manakitanga of the guests and it's important, but the way food is prepared has changed over the years. For example, at my marae, portion sizes are now controlled and the chillers have specific areas for raw kai and cooked kai. They're kept on different shelves. Now, some might call those measures common sense stuff, and for a guide that was released this week about food safety on the marae, it looks at the wider picture. For example, the picking of watercress needs to be considered because there may be spraying of pesticides in that particular area, or the collecting of pipi or kutai mussels in seabeds. Algae or bacteria could be present. In most cases, there are usually warning signs erected if the area is a no-go. So it seems that puha patches or pipi seabeds that was safe together, say from 20 years ago, may not be so now. And that's what the new guide, Te Kai Manawa Ora, outlines, launched by the Food Safety Authority this week at Turanga Waiwai Marae in Ngaroa Wahia. Project manager of the New Zealand Food Safety Authority, Iraniera Bassett, has a real passion for ensuring that iwi, hapu and of course marae ringawera are aware of these things. Uh, Ko māmaru te waka, ko nati tarata hapu, ko nati kahutiwi, no muri whenua, no reira ko rāniera Bassett uh, taku ingoa. No reira uh, e rauranga tino mā uh, puta no o te motu, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, a tēnā no hoki tātou katoa. Uh, e taku mahi, e mahi ana mo te pauranga kai o Aotearoa, ko au te kai whakahaere o ngā kaupapa me ngā tikanga e pāna ki te kai, e whakamaru te kai, uh, mo, te, um, mo te New Zealand Food Safety Authority. What, how, how did you eventually get into, into kai, into food? Justine, it goes back away about three or four years ago. Um, I, I was part of a team that uh, put a pukapuka together called um, Food Safety Practices and Preparing and Cooking a Hangi. Yes, yes. Uh, that goes back a few years now. And um, I, I was asked would I be able to put something together for the ministry. And at that time, I was, I was working with the, the Auckland Regional Public Health Service. And so what I did was I, I, I put a, a strategy together involving local health protection officers, dietitians, nutritionists, uh, food safety consultants, um, people who are in the industry. And uh, we planned and we put down a hangi on uh, tumu whenua o Rake Marae uh, in consultation with our kaumātou me ngā kuia, kai mahi, mm. ngā ringawera. And, of course, that led to this, this uh, pukapuka called um, <coughs> Food Safety Practices on Marae and, and in cooking a hangi. That's all it was meant to do. And so it eventuated from there. It started there a few years ago. But uh, the reason being is because over the past few years uh, in Aotearoa, there'd been certain uh, outbreaks of uh, foodborne illnesses. And uh, percentage-wise, they were small, but they did occur. Aye, so back in 2004 when this, this guide for, in particular, the hangi was uh, was launched, was it because of food preparations around a hangi? Why was it exactly like like a hangi was the focus? I think the real issue was just to revitalise our food safety messages within within our own tikanga. Because, because one of the reasons for that, Justine, is because uh, we've got to remember that, you know, the, the cooks have changed. <laughs> yes, the changing yes. of the guard kind of, kind of style because our kaumata me queer, they're now on the front mm. of the marae now. And, and, and so that knowledge was passed on. And so we've got a different generation who are now working in the, in the wharekai. Yes, and, and just, I mean, we can attribute the, the changing of, I mean, a lot of marae these days are awahi kore, Aye. you can't smoke, so I guess the same applies to, you know, the, the ringawera who do hold the mana of, of a marae to, mm. uh, it must be a difficult thing to say to, well, hey, I know you've been doing this for 20 years about your preparation, but now things have got to change. Well, I, I think that changes with the type of food we have available to us, the way the uh, they're growing kai now in, in communities. And, um, for example, 
you know, our puha, I mean, our watercress, you know, the watercress, you know, and I mean, when farmers now, you remember we used to be able to go down to our hour and pick our, pick our watercress, and, and yes. certain times there we did pick puha, but a lot of sprays have been used to... to pesticides. Yeah, pesticides and things like that to... to um, allow the grass to grow quicker so the cows can and the cows can have good clay and they produce better milk and things like this. But you see, when it rains and the runoff, that when it runs into our rivers and things like that, we've got to be aware of some of those chemicals that they do use. And I'm not an expert on this because I'm not a scientist, mm. but I do understand the process. And, you know, we've got to be careful and things like that. So when we bring it back to the marae because of our understanding of manaakitanga, manaaki our people, you know, we bring our kai there because that's our way of showing, showing our uh, our respect for the kaupapa. And, you know, some of the issues there around that, once upon a time, we didn't have those things to worry about. But in today's times, well, we've got to be aware of them, that these things do happen. Even our kaimwana. Mm. You know, there's the sewage systems, and, and we've got to be aware of those. Uh, you know, um, where to pick your, your pipi me, 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 me ngā tua tua, you know, your kūtai, things like this, basic resources that were available to us we've got to be very careful now when we go to the beaches and 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 do these sorts of things what can we do to sustain this sort of thing to this awareness for our future generations yep. so there's not yep. just what about food safety it's, it's all about our drinking waters for example our resources there our, what we are eating for healthy eating healthy action all those sorts of issues yeah because i mean you know, at my marae, 10 years ago, you could go down and get um, pipis, and now they're just depleted. Yes. <laughs> you know, the dredging of the moana and all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a pretty huge issue to tackle, isn't it, Anita? Yeah, well, it's a big issue to tackle, yeah. but I think we've got to start at the right place. Mm-hmm. And and manaki, reciprocity, and on our marae, is because our marae are the central point, the focal point for all things Māori. Where decisions are made, and in amongst our people, Fano Hapu Niwi, we've got expertise in there, and we need to raise these issues. And of course, our marae committees, our trustees, and of course, our runanga, all those things get discussed. And I suppose uh, the environment becomes a very, very important part of who we are as a people, mm. as, as, as Tangata Whenua. So, does that mean, Ranira, that it starts with the Ringawera to um, make sure that you know kai that they're getting in a, uh, when it's not from, say, Mad Butcher or the shop, that it's being collected, prepared properly and safely? Indeed, and basic messages do apply. Like we have uh, a lot of these places where we source our our our, our food, our kai. I mean, they're checked anyway, okay, because they have to be, you know, to keep our food safe. But, you know, when we go down and get home kill or yes. go and, uh, and, and and gather our, our kaimwana, you know, we've got to make sure that it's safe where they're gathering our kai to bring back to the marae. Therefore, our, in, the, in the old days, our old people knew where they would ask certain questions in their own way. Mm. Well, where did you get these from? Boy, you know, and, yeah. and, and then they would know, you know, because our old people knew these things. These are some of the safety mechanisms that we had in place. But today's time, you know, with the with the tough economical situations in a lot of our rural marae, uh, you know, we've got to be careful on what we're doing. Once upon a time, we could do exactly what you're saying from where you're from, even from where I come from. Yes. We used to go down, the sources there, but now we've got to be very careful where we're getting it from because we don't know what the runoff has done and where the sewage pond and pipes are <laughs> that run in there, that run out to our uh, run out to our moana. So we've got to be very, very careful of what we're doing. And I suppose if we do gather our kaimana, we've got to make sure that it is safe and cook it properly. Sometimes we've got to cook it. Aye, aye. So, I mean, I'm glad you sort of brought up the word, um, Ranira, and that's rural. Obviously, with our urban marae who are close to pack and save, close to shops, compared to our rural marae who are, you know, in the middle of the sticks. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be some real issue there in terms of preparing and gathering kai, like home kill you mentioned. Yes, well, uh, because our people, let's, let's face it, you know, uh, for the for the marae that are in the in the bush, for our marae that are on the coast, that was a source for 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 the betterment of that of that uh, rohe. You yes. know, it, it was. To replenish, and we, we we had our mechanisms to replenish our kai, to look after the, our, our resources that were around those marae. Mm. But in today's times, you know, with the differences and 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 the farming issues, the growing of our vegetables, our, our 
our, 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 our potatoes and things like that, you know, our kumara, all the different types of kai. We've got to be very careful what we're doing there. So the basic message is like, if we do get our puha from somewhere and because and, we don't know where if it's been sprayed or not, we need to find these things out. We can always ask the local farm or even in your local areas. Mm. A lot of our local people, our, the ones, our ahika who are in the rural marais, know where to go. <laughs> yes, they know their particular spots. Yeah, but if we get to our, our, our manuhiri, which are people from that marae who, who who do head home for any hui, you know, and, and our people, you know, they, they're, they're manaki people. They want to share, they want to care for our, our manuhiri. Because, and, and, and of course, some of the, the differences in, in the rural and, and the urban are different, but the principles are the same, but application might be a little different. Yeah, because it makes me think, Ranita, about, you know, my my Kuro's day, you know, everyone was blo- um, um, growing gardens, um, you know, everybody had kumaras, kamokamo spuds, you know, all out the backyard. Um, I mean, are those days gone? I, I I think they were sort of put on the back burner, if you like. Yeah. I wouldn't mind betting in today's time that a lot of people are learning a lot about horticulture mm. and they're starting to do that. Where I come from in the far north in Parapara. Which is in the in in the, in the iwi of Natikahu, and uh, I, I am a, our marae is just in the valley, but we we're a coastal marae as well, so and a bush marae. So we we're starting to look at the land now, and, this, and a lot of a lot of uh, iwi are doing that now, looking at their resources around them. How can we sustain our people? And a lot of this has to do with social and economical growth. Our people are being us going to the polytechnics now, going back to school to learn about these sorts of things. Once upon a time, we knew, but that generation has moved on. And a lot of our younger ones who are moving home from the cities back home, they have to relearn these skills and, and revitalize these, these skills. Aye. And that is what I believe is happening even in my own hapu. Mm. My young people now are starting to get involved in horticulture, to understand the water. And to understand the, the, the different types of allergens and things that can affect our people, the wellness of our people, because at the end of the day, our kopa was for the well-being of our whānau, hapu, hapu and iwi, me ngā kaumātu, me ngā kuia. Aye, aye, tikatau, and, that, and, that, and that's the kaupapa. So, Rānira, in your line of work, have you been to quite a few marae in, in Aotearoa? I've been to quite a few. Yes. So, and, and, and just generally speaking, not to generalise a particular marae, but how have you noticed any trends when it comes to Ringawera? Has it been consistent that they have changed their menu, changed the way they prepare kai? I, I, I do believe, because our, our young people are very smart. Our, our Ringawera that are in the kitchen now, because they're a younger generation, they are very good. Yes. They are keen. A lot of the marais that I've been to, I have seen big changes. So over the last, shall we say, 20 years, there has been a big change mm-hmm. in attitude. Eh? When I first started out, when I first walked onto uh, you know, some marais, and you, you heard the kōrero that you've already said to me, ah, what are you fellas talking about? We've been doing this mairano. <laughs> and I'm going, yes, okay, but Campylobacteriosis bacteriosis and salmonella don't care what tribe you belong to. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're going to attack. And, uh, you know, um, and, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, the, my, my tikanga has always been, I've always had in the back of my head, Justine, yes. our mana is at stake when we manaki our people. So we uphold the integrity of our marae. We uphold the integrity of our whānau, hapu and iwi. Let's bring it to um, the kaupapa of this week then, um, Raniera, on Tuesday, Turanga Waiwai Marae. I mean, a very um, appropriate place to launch Te Kai Manawa Ora. Aye. So tell us about um, the, the guide itself. Te Kai Manawa Ora was based on a health promotion, health, uh, shall we say, destiny, if you like, when it comes back to kai. And, 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 and here's a reading that, that inspired me. And of course, when I think about health promotions, the way I packaged the to promote the Takai Mano Oro was using the kaupapa, which is which is ours, Mairano, Te Pai Mahutunga Maro, mm-hmm. and that's about the constellation of the stars that that, that guided us, the director. So, and it, and and was revitalised by Mason Professor Mason Jury. And uh, and his adaptation, and when he presented this address to the 1999 Health Promotion Forum conference in Massey University, he used these the the, the Mahutonga as a way of promoting well-being for Maori, and of, and in that case for all. In the Mahutonga model, what I've gone and done is I've taken some of those things and reshaped it and redesigned it to suit 
kaupapa te kai manawa ora. So when you look at things like Modi ora, you know, access to uh, the, the, the thing behind it, it talks about our tikanga. Mm. It talks about our economics, our resources. It talks about te reo and the networking of Māori health organisations in your community. Why order? It's all about environmental protection, our water resources, for example. I mean, it's looking back to, to you know, who have forged that pathway. Yes. The pathway is being forged. And forged. <laughs> it's just a matter of us revitalising and revisiting. Why reinvent the wheel sometimes, you know? Yes. Uh, some of the things our old people said were hōhonu. Hōhonu. Hōhonu ki te kaupapa. Aye. <laughs> and it's just a matter of us uh, people saying, well, hang on, what did my, my papa say again? What did he mean by that? I. And it's not until you're in the kitchen, <laughs> in the farekai, that's where you learnt your hakapapa. Mm. That's where you learnt the stories about your hapu when you're peeling spuds, opening, you know, pōhada ngā kaimuana and things like that. We used to think, oh, my God, you're not going to go and do another sack. <laughs> <laughs> and it's where you get the good gossip too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> that was our networks. <laughs> exactly. So, um, Raniera, on that note, how can people... Um, get a hold of the 2004 booklet, the Hangi Guide, as well as the one launched this week, the Kai Manua Ora. How can they get a hold of that? Well, we can get on our website, www.nzfsa.govt.nz. Kapai And any marae, ahakoa, kei, um, kei tūhoi, kei nāpui, kei te waipaunamu, they can use it. Of course they can, yes. anywhere. Um, and I must acknowledge our Aung Marae that took part in the pilot phase, we had people who, from our Marae from Parapara, we had them from Kawiti, we had Matarawa, we had Moteto, Waikare, um, uh, we had them from Orake, mm. uh, um, Tainui Wakato, Turanga Waiwai Marae, and, and, and we had them from Mangatu and, and uh, Te Wainui uh, no Tairawhiti. And, of course, we also had participation from Murihiku, way down there in our marae, right down there in Invercargill. So uh, our kaumātua and our queer and the ringawera have spoken. In so, this pukapuka, this takai manua yes. ora, their voices are in there too. So, Raniera, with those marae you just mentioned, you would go in there and introduce the guide or say, or introduce yourself. What would you actually do at those marae? Well, what you've got to do in, is, is make sure the art of engagement is ticker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that and, you're and, welcome. Uh, yes. and, 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 and and it's not it, it, it's a process. It's our yep. tikanga because it's not only about just going on there and having a presentation and raising the level <laughs> yep. of awareness. Because what happens later? We want to sustain that relationship, that fanongatanga with our people. Mm. It's not just a one-off because there are other spin things that happen. There are other spin-offs, and this is a this is our tikanga. And, and one of the ways of doing that is through. Having good relationships, and you know, Papa comes in good too. Kia ora Raniera Moto Korero, and to download a copy of the guide as well as the 2004 guide about preparing hangi, uh, we have the links at our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. When it comes to treasures, it's more the sentimental value that matters most, and Māori taonga such as korowai or cloaks or photos are sometimes handed down the generations. And it's this depth, like the stories of Tonga, or kākahu, as Rhonda Paku describes it, that is worth safekeeping. In her line of mahi, or work as manager of iwi development at Te Papa Museum, she organises and is involved with workshops, telling communities on how to look after their Tonga. Some marae, for example, still hold the original photos inside a whareunui, but with technology, those photos could be copied, where the originals are stored for safekeeping. Um, my um, tribal affiliations are to Ngāti Kahungunu and Ngāti Ruapani Ngāi On my mother's side, I'm from Kahungunu ki te Wairua, and on my father's side, I'm from Waikare Moana, um, and... I'm working currently at Papatongariwa as the manager, uh, iwi development for National Services Te Pairangi. Kia ora. So, Rhonda, let's go. Let's do a little bit of a foundation, kōrero, if you will. Um, how did you get into this type of mahi? 
Well, it actually started after Te Māori, the exhibition, um, very successful exhibition in lots of ways, but it's had an enormous impact on uh, a few of us at the time who were kicking around in various universities, tertiary institutes, mm. had an interest in Māori art or in ethnography and at that time, people like Sid Mead were sending us down to undertake training that was being run by the likes of Rangi Hetet and Erenora um, Pukitapu Hetet. And we were sent down to the old museum back then to do training uh, schemes there. And initially it was around learning our crafts, carving, weaving, but it was also an opportunity for us to go into separate departments and pick up some of those skills. So we started doing those sorts, and that would have been um, 18... 18 years ago now in the old museum and I started there but came away, left the sector for quite a long time and I've returned to Te Papa nearly five years ago now. Obviously it's a passion, you've been in it for a while. Yes, it is a passion. I mean, we're dealing with collections but at the end of the day it's also about um, how we look after and manage our tikanga and um all of the stories that go with the tonga because inevitably we're not just talking about those very tangible objects and items that are in the collection here. Um, and I was going to touch on this a little bit later, yeah. but I might as well mention it here too because this is what really, holistically, this is what it's about. It is about, for me, um, it's looking after those stories. It's about all the intangible stuff that goes with those items, including the whakapapa, the reo the reo in particular, all these taonga have reo specific to them, stories specific to them, whakapapa, um, and our role is to make sure that we continue with that kākahu wrapped around them, that we look after all of those parts that go with each taonga. And, I mean, that, that must not be an easy job. What sort of expertise do you draw on? Our job in National Services Te Pairangi is to work with the museum sector and in the museum sector we also include iwi and galleries. Um, our role is to work with in those communities to help them wrap those stories around the taonga and make sure that they've got good processes that they can follow, that they're confident about following. If not, then it's about us helping them to develop the skills, learn the skills, um, to enable them to manage and care for those taonga for future generations. So can you give us any examples that kind of stand out um, for you, Rhonda, in terms of a particular taonga that needed that kākahu wrapped around it and how what that, what that process entails? It must be very detailed. I suppose rather than draw on um, one particular item, if I talk about it in terms of the way that we work with iwi, normally um, we roll out a number of workshops and in any particular mm. year we would offer oh, over 40, near 50 workshops a year and a portion of those are just tailored for the needs of iwi. What we do in those cases is people come along, we invite them to those workshops, they come along and they bring taonga with them. Wow. The digitisation workshops currently, um, participants are encouraged to bring photographs, whare photographs or their own tupuna photographs that they'd like to digitise or bring as an example of a collection of photographs that they'd like to digitise. And in the process of the workshop, they actually learn the skills of um, capturing good quality photographs and copies of their own tupuna photographs. And we do another workshop on preserving taonga. So again, participants are asked to bring along examples of taonga that they'd like to work on during the process of the two days, the two-day workshop. And in one workshop that we had in Hede Taonga last year at the Takatemu Festival, which was a resounding success, mm. the, this particular workshop, a whānau turned up there with a kahu kiwi. It was no less than 150 years old, and our in-house conservator who was presenting that particular workshop, Rangi Takanawa, um, who specialises in um, Māori textiles, she was able to identify almost immediately that this kākahu was probably no less than 150 years old by some special um, marks within the, the kākahu itself. 
then she was able to say, well, we know that this is from a certain era where they use this kind of signature mark in, oh, the, really? in the kākahu. And it was, you know, it's those sorts of awe-inspiring moments. Another time when I'm in Whakatāne and I'm just delivering a presentation, um, I get led out into a back room and, <laughs> you know, I often get this, can you just come out and have a look at this? And quite often people just want you to clap eyes on it and give them an immediate condition report, which is actually not our job. Our role is to get them in touch with the right people people yes. and those that do have the expertise, mostly from their local museums, will say to people, do you have a relationship with your local museum? Do you know the staff down there? Can I introduce yes. you to them so that they can start a rapport to get some support locally rather than having to come all the way to Papa or email us and start that kind of conversation? We try to get them in touch with the expertise that's local to them. Mm. Do you find that, I mean, I, I can just imagine somebody approaching you and saying, oh, you know, come over here and have a look at this. I suppose I, um, it may be a sense, I mean, museums, do they have, are Māori scared to take their tonga to a museum, scared of things like copyright, um, please don't hurt my tonga? Um, do you think that they are more trusting of a Māori face? I think it's fair to say that um, Māori do they do have their suspicions about yep. anybody wanting to look at their taonga because of the tapu that's around that surrounds taonga. And so we know it's a really privileged position that we're in to be led into rooms where taonga are being kept. And certainly they're trusting us and taking us into their confidence. So, yes, there is lots of... Uh, recognition from our part that it's a privileged position. We don't take it for granted. Yes. We know that when we've been um, brought into that sort of situation and asked for our opinion on things, that we need to make sure that we're giving them the right advice, the best advice, and getting them into contact with the people who can really help them, specifically around um, the future preservation of a tongue, or if it needs conserving, who they need to get in touch with. Sometimes, and in museums, it's about how do we tell a story of a taonga and so in in the other direction we're trying to contact iwi and match them up with matching up museums with the appropriate people in the community to help them wrap their knowledge around the taonga they have in their collections to tell uh, authentic stories and stories that have meaning for the communities um, and stories that Māori can relate to that will draw them into those museums. Um, you talked about digitising photographs. I mean, there are so many photos. I mean, I, I have, I possess some pretty old photographs. Um, what, what is, what's the goal there, to move towards technology in terms of pre um, preserving taonga? Actually, the key goal and the need to have this workshop developed from iwi saying to us, um, you know... Our photographs are at risk. There are lots of examples already where Whare Nui have, unfortunately, they've burnt down and a lot of those photographs have gone forever. So from this need that we've um, developed this workshop and really the idea is that they can take good quality copies and they can make a decision about whether they keep the copies somewhere safe or put the copies up on the wall instead of having the originals up there. And it's also about, I suppose, ensuring that there's access, not just at the marae, but perhaps a kaitiaki, someone who becomes mm. the long-term guardian of that collection of copies, that people can access those without having to go into the marae if it's not appropriate for them to do so. Now, the, the, the pictures and how they um, hang on the wall for, for many, many years, um, Rhonda, are they in danger of fading, um, being, becoming damaged? Yeah, well, there's lots of things that can impact on um, photographs within Whare Nui and um, on Marae and even at home. And, of course, light's a big factor in that, as well as relative humidity, which yeah. is a term that you often hear in museums and being used by professionals in this sector. And that's just about the moisture in the air or the relative dryness. And um, what we what we hope to do is by taking these workshops out onto the marae, we can talk with iwi in situ, we can actually point out to them in a whare nui, these are the kinds of risks that you need to be aware of, these are the ways that you can mitigate those risks and that you can perhaps prolong um, the quality of your images in the whare nui. Sometimes the images can't be taken from out of their frames, sometimes wow. they may not even be able to come off the wall for whatever reason, it could be permanently stuck there. So the idea is to uh, pass on as much information and hands-on skills so that they learn the different techniques involved in getting a good quality copy. Wow. And so there are many workshops taking place around the mutu or about to take place around 
Yeah, and any one time, and right now we've had three workshops last week, three workshops this week, um, but for iwi specifically, we try not to run more than two different ones at a time, so currently we've got this one running. Very shortly we will run another series of um, taonga conservation workshops. They are both very, very popular, and we're often oversubscribed um, in mm -hmm. both cases. And I think that's a real signal that... Um, there is a real need out there among our communities and among iwi that they do have a very strong interest in preserving taonga. So your immediate um, department here at Te Papa Ronda, um, Te Pairangi? National Services, Te National. Pairangi, yes. So uh, how many staff? We're a small team yep. here at Te Papa and our focus is entirely outward, so we're working in communities all the time and with museums good to be out there and Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a public position for Te Papa to be taking, but it's also part of our responsibility as the National Museum to provide a national service, yeah. and essentially that's what we're doing. So we're out there, we work a lot with iwi, but also um, museums right around the country and galleries. And do you feel, I mean, in your experience, um, are Māori attitudes um, towards museums changing over time? And, um, you know, they're not too matapiko about holding their taonga, you know, cooped mm. up in the closet for periods of time. Are attitudes changing? Um, I think perhaps it's best for me to speak for um, our experiences here at Te Papa rather than the museums we deal with because it's so different. Yep. The, um, the relationships between iwi and museums generally, I can say, are stronger. There are several museums that um, have really uh, embraced their relationships with their Māori community, which is wonderful. Um, and from our perspective, we'd like to see more of that because at the end of the day, the stories that museums tell need to be um, more inclusive. And we, we do still come across a lot of museums that um, are not yet... They haven't yet brokered strong relationships with Māori communities, oh. but they're keen to. Here at Te Papa, we've seen a... Um, a huge increase in the number of Māori accessing the collections, making general inquiries, coming in to visit our collections. When you came in before, there was a group here from a, I think it was from to one of the Wānanga Institutes, regularly accessing the collection, researching it, coming in and speaking with our staff. And they, um, they're fully engaged with the iwi exhibition, Kaupapa yeah, as well, yeah. um, which means we have an iwi in residence. And that's been very rewarding both for iwi and for this institute because, of course, we we stand a lot. We, we stand to gain a lot more information when we involve more community participation, Māori and, and everyone else that's involved as well and have taonga here of interest. So we don't just work with Māori communities, yeah. but of course um, being a bicultural organisation it is a large focus of our work and particularly my work, my role as manager iwi development. Kapai Ronda. Well, thank you very much for talking to me this morning. I just wanted to finally wrap up this in, um, our court at all with um, the Naitahu exhibition. I mean, it's fantastic. Greatly received by, by Iwi? Yes, it has been. Um, it's a really beautiful exhibition and we'll be sad when we finally farewell our Naitahu partners, but they have been fabulous. And in the next couple of months? Um, in, yes, in the next few months it, it'll be closing. It's closing a little later than was initially intended, but I mean, that's a bonus for... Yep for us and in lots of ways um, it just serves to strengthen our relationship with Ngaitahu and their affiliated groups so we've been very fortunate, it is a beautiful exhibition and if our listeners out there haven't seen it yet they need to come in soon They need to do it, it quickly as well and I mean for somebody like me who, who I mean I've only I've visited to public, you know, a handful of times, what happens when Ngaitahu, when, it, when it's the end of the Ngaitahu exhibition do, do they come here and Take their tonga? They will end it as they started. Yes. They will come here and they will um, be a significant part. In fact, they'll lead us in the closing of these ceremonies that are, are around the closing of that exhibition. Yes, they will. They came in force for the opening and I, I expect that they will come back again and um, honour that exhibition and the relationship that we've established with them. Nā mihi kia koe e Ronda Paku and the team at Te Pairangi at Te Papa Tongariwa. And as you heard, after two years of exhibiting their taonga at the museum, the Naitahu exhibition will end in July. So me haere ki te kitia i taua whakaputanga whakari. Make sure to check it out. For more info, you can go to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Kei te
In 2004, thousands of Māori and non-Māori from around the country held a protest, a mass hikoi that began in the far north and ended on the steps of Parliament. The common reason was in protest against the foreshore and seabed legislation proposed by the government. Since the last election, however, an agreement was made between the National and Māori parties to conduct a review. So, three panellists appointed by government include the Honourable Justice Taiha Kure Dury, Associate Professor at Victoria University Richard Boast, and Hana O'Regan no Kaitahu. The first series of hui was held at Te Rau Aroha Marae in the Southland and will wrap up in mid-May at Ōmaka Marae in Blenheim. Members of the public, Māori and focus groups are invited to make public submissions. For dates, times and venues of those hui, you can go to our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. And we'll feature more of that kaupapa in future tiahika programs. Anaira Araniera Bassett with this week's Fakatoki. Kote o honga ake o aku moi moya. Kote puawaitanga o nga fakaro. The awakening of dreams and aspirations comes from the blossoming of ideas, thoughts, and innovations. That inspired me, Justine, and that was written by our dear lady, Te Puya Herangi. She was a very keen advocate of health promotions. So those sorts of hakatoki which belong to Māori is what's inspired me. And of course, when I think about health promotions, the way I packaged the, to promote the Te Kaimano Oro was using the kaupapa, which is, which is ours, mai rano, Te Pai Mahutonga Maro. And that's about the constellation of the stars that, that, that guided us, the directors. So, and, it, and, and it was revitalized by Mason, Professor Mason Jury and, uh, and his adaption and when he presented this address to the 1999 Health Promotion Forum Conference in Massey University. He used these, the, the, the Pai Mahutonga as a way of promoting well-being for Māori and, of, and in that case for all. Next week will feature Kiri Pihama, a former policewoman with eight years' experience who now runs her own private investigation company. Ko Justin Maritine, Maori Ora.